Fantastic. Let me add my welcome to that you've already received. It's great to see you here, and it's a great time to be connecting in um, to the church, uh, whether you're here uh, for the first time or you've just started coming, or maybe you're coming back again after a little bit of a gap. And um, we're really looking forward to getting to know you, hearing a bit more of your story. And uh, I don't know how you found the last two years, but most of us have found it a time of trial. There's been uh, challenges and difficulties and things to face, and that's you know, it's almost impacted every single area of life. And, but the things, pandemic or no pandemic, trials and challenges are as much a part of life as breathing air. And the question is not, you know, are you going to face trials and tests and troubles in your life? Uh, the question is, when are you going to face them and what are they going to look like? And how will you respond to the trials and challenges you face? And maybe you're facing one right now. Maybe you've suffered a loss uh, over the last couple of years. Maybe you're you know, battling with a health condition at the moment. Maybe someone in your family is battling with a health condition. Maybe someone you really care about is going through a very difficult time. Maybe a relationship in which you'd put a lot of hope has kind of crumbled. Or maybe a friendship which was really important to you has just kind of drifted. It's grown a bit cold and suddenly it seems a little bit complicated. Uh, maybe you've just had a really challenging year and there's been difficulties at work or maybe you know, you've got difficulties in your studies. Jesus promises us life and life in all its fullness. But he never says that we'll be free from trials. He never says that we'll have an easy life. And actually he says that sometimes following Jesus can mean that you may face more trials and more battles, but with one vital difference. He promises to be with you right in the midst of them. So we're going to look at this passage. And the first thing we see is that it's so important to treat your trial like a gift. Now that might sound crazy. You might think, you know, what I'm going through right now, this is not a gift. This is not a present. I don't want this. Uh, there's no way I could treat it like a gift. But how you think about trials will shape how you respond to them and the impact you have they have on your life. So James writes, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it, frame it, treat it as a joy. The message translation says, consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come at you. And to consider it means like to impute, to, to give the characteristics of a gift to the trial you're facing. It might not look like a gift. It might not feel like a gift. It might not be a good thing in and of itself. You wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. But you can treat even that process of facing the trial as a gift. Because the risk is, if you don't treat it as a gift, you'll end up thinking of it as a curse. But James says, when, when, whenever, trials just come. It's really important to say, just because you're facing a trial today doesn't mean that you failed and God is punishing you. Just because you're facing a trial today doesn't mean God is angry at you. Just because you're facing a trial today doesn't mean God has abandoned you or disapproves of you. Just because you're facing a trial doesn't mean there's no hope for your future. Trials just come. It doesn't matter if you're successful or you're failing. It doesn't matter if you feel rich or you feel poor. It doesn't matter if you're the most moral person you've ever met, you're squeaky clean and you never put a foot wrong, or if you've made lots of mistakes and it still feels like you're making lots of mistakes. Trials just come. The trials you face are not God's verdict on your life. They're not a sign of his disapproval. Don't misunderstand them. Sometimes difficulties in life 
can be a sign of God's approval because he disciplines those he loves. Jesus lived a life of stunning beauty, extraordinary compassion, holiness, wisdom, grace. He was all wise. He never put a foot wrong. He never made a wrong decision. And yet he faced continual significant trials, opposition and suffering and loss. His father approved of him, delighted in him. And yet that didn't mean a life of comfort and convenience, quite the opposite. Don't misunderstand the trials you face. You could live a perfect life, make all the right decisions, and it wouldn't mean you'd be able to avoid trials. And even if you could avoid trials, that wouldn't necessarily be a good thing. But unless you reframe your trials, they can start to undermine your faith. And so the challenge is to treat the trial like a gift. Just before uh, the pandemic, I was driving some colleagues um, to a prayer retreat, and I was driving them, and we were on this main road, um, driving out of London, and uh, as we were driving down this A road, this kind of souped up, super fancy kind of Range Rover came flying past us on the outside lane and then cut in front of us really sharply, had to brake really sharply and then bombed off up the road. It was like so aggressive driving. We're like, who's that? What's that guy playing at? It's like got some kind of problem or something. Anyway, it was really satisfying. We pulled up to the next roundabout and he was still there stuck in traffic. So we kind of pulled up behind him, kind of smiling. You know, hi. And, um, and then there was a gap in the traffic and it looked like he was going. He started to move and... Uh, and he was moving, but then for some reason, even though there weren't any cars coming, he stopped, put the brakes on, and, uh, and I was just rolling gently forward, and then I rolled a little bit too far forward, and then I just gently, tiny, just gently kissed his bumper with my car. Um, just a little nudge, and uh, just, you know, accidentally, and, um, and it actually left a bit of a scratch on his lovely Range Rover. Here's a picture of it. Um, if you look really close, you can just see the tiniest scratch on his um, custom paint job there. It's a tiny scratch. I've had worse scratches shaving, but, um, but there it is. And, um, and then he reacted in the most surprising way. He kind of jumped out of his car. He bombed around the side of the car, came right up to my car, and started screaming at me. He started saying, you idiot, what do you think you're doing? How dare you hit my car, and, um, and I was like, this is a bit embarrassing, you know, colleagues in the car, this guy's just screaming at me, we're just in the road, and, um, and then I thought, I'll defuse the situation, so I kind of wound down my window, I leaned out, and I said, I'm so sorry, it's completely my fault. I thought that would help, it made the situation much worse, he got even more angry, he came to the floor, yeah, it's your fault, I'm going to hit you in the face, screaming at me, and I thought, oh, this guy's actually going to hit me right now, this is going to happen right now, and two things crossed my mind, firstly, I felt a bit embarrassed, like, the colleagues might think this is always what happens when I go for car journeys. And, um, and so I was embarrassed. And then I was like looking him up and down. I don't know if you ever do this. And I was thinking, this will be quite an even fight. Like he's, um, he's, he's a little bit smaller than me, but much more aggressive. And, um, and, uh, and then he kind of reached down and he opened my door and pulled my door open and came towards me. And I thought, oh, this is it. He's going to hit me right now. I was thinking, this can't happen. I'm a pastor. I can't have a fight on a road. Like, just in, on, this can't happen. Anyway, at that moment, my passenger opened his car door, and I suddenly remembered, Des is in the car. And um, Des uh, used to work as a bouncer on the streets of Glasgow 
very, very dangerous clubs. Did it for a number of years. He'd been stabbed three times. He's a massive guy. He knows how to knock people out with one punch. He's about 25 stone. He's an imposing character. Um, and he actually had a very difficult life. Then he came on Alpha, became a Christian on Alpha, and um, turned his life around. And actually, he now leads Alpha in Scotland. Here's a picture of Des. And... Uh, <laughs> And so Des got out of the car and he kind of came around and the most extraordinary thing happened. Like this guy kind of shrunk. It was extraordinary. And he kind of like looked a bit intimidated and Des said, what's the problem? Why are you so upset? And he said, look at the scratch. And Des was like, that's not a scratch. You know, and he was kind of chatting to him and the guy was getting more and more kind of nervous and kind of had reeled right back in. And so I thought it was a good time to get out. So I got out of the car, I came around, everything okay? He said, absolutely. And, um, and I said, should we swap insurance details? And we had this slightly awkward conversation, you know, him having pretty much threatened to kill me. So I say, how do you spell your name? Two T's? Okay, yeah. And, um, and we did all of that. And then when we thought, you know, it was done, he got back in his Range Rover and drove off up the road and we got back in our car. And then we suddenly remembered that Michael was in the back of the car. He was behind us. He leaned forward and he said, guys, I was going to be right there with you. So sorry. You left the child locks on so I couldn't get out of the car. Um, but I would have been there. And, um, and we were kind of sitting and thinking, what a crazy thing. And I was driving to the prayer retreat thinking, I did not expect that to happen today. Now, it would have been very easy for me to be a bit like, it's not nice being physically threatened. It's not nice having someone screaming in your face just about to hit you. Not a pleasant thing. I could have got really upset, angry at God. Like I was going to pray. You command us to pray. I was being obedient. I was going to host a prayer retreat. And now, you know, you let me, go, you let me God, bump this really aggressive car driver's, you know. And now I've had this really difficult day. It's been really stressful. I'm really upset. You know, I could have framed it in that way. But actually... We kind of made the decision to frame it as a gift because Des and I, you know, we've been working together for a while, but we hadn't really connected. And there's something about almost being in a fight together where you connect on a different way. So all the way to the prayer retreat, we were having a really great conversation, chatting away. He was telling me stories from nightclubs. Turns out he could knock people out with one punch. And, um, and then, you know, we all kind of just came, it just completely changed the whole feel of the whole day. But we had to make the decision to frame it as a gift. When you're in a trial, and some trials go on a really long time, and they're very, very painful. When you're in a trial, you generally feel a bit of pressure. And the, the push, the kind of current, is either going to, you know, you either going to swim against it and pull yourself closer to Jesus, or you'll find it a bit difficult and you'll push him further away. That tends to be what happens when you're facing a trial. You either get closer or you get further away. And what I think is, doesn't mean I enjoy difficult times, doesn't mean I enjoy hassles and stress and pain, doesn't mean I just want to put on a smiley face and pretend life's fine. But what it does mean is I want to reassess my trial in light of the truth about who God is and what he has done rather than reassess the truth about who God is in the light of my trial. You can treat it as a gift because Jesus is faithful. He is kind. He's king. There's nothing he can't turn for good and for his glory. It might have been intended for your harm, but he can use it to help you. It might shake your faith, but it might end up strengthening it. The difference is how you frame it. Even the most confusing and painful things in your life will ultimately serve his eternal purposes if you bring them him. He will put things right. Treat your trial like a gift. And then the second thing we see in this passage is to find the blessing in the trial. Now trials aren't fun. 
They're frustrating, they're upsetting, they're confusing, they're difficult, but they can work something in you of profound spiritual and eternal value. There are things you can learn in a trial which you won't learn when things are going well. There are things God can teach you when you're going through a difficult season which you can't learn when everything is going your way. James says, you know, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. If you can face them in the right way, trials will work something in you which can bring huge blessing to your life. It produces perseverance, creates a new capacity to stand firm. The the word kind of testing, it's like proving. It's the pressure and the heat that is applied to objects to kind of forge them anew. Yes, it reveals some of the cracks, but often it it re-strengthens them, galvanizes them, gives them a new ability to stand firm. And I don't know how you found it when you're going through a trial. This is how I tend to find it. So if I'm going through, this is me, you know, if I'm going through a trial and it's shaking a bit, I'm very happy to put my weight on things that I think I can control and things that make me feel, you know, good about myself. So for me, at different times in my life, that's been my, so my career, you know, place a lot of my kind of strength on that. That'll keep me firm. You know, my status. You know, I used to work as a, a criminal defense barrister. I loved working as a criminal defense barrister. It was great. You know, you go to parties, everyone's interested in what you do. You know, but here's the thing. Nowadays, you know, I, I used to charge quite a lot of money for my advice, and people would pay me quite a lot of money for my advice. But now my advice is available for free. No one takes it. Sometimes I, sometimes I offer it, and people just do the other thing. It's so crazy. So that's kind of been stripped away. Or maybe it's like money. You know, you kind of think, oh, yeah, I'll rely on my money to help me out. But sometimes, you know, that doesn't really work. There's not enough of it, or you can't deploy it in the right way. Or even if you had a lot of it, that doesn't help sometimes. You know, sometimes it's other things. Um, you know, I, I don't know. How, when, when the pandemic comes, suddenly you're, you're cut off from people, or you're kind of... Your rhythm disrupted and the things which you had spent a lot of time doing get stripped out. We, just before the pandemic, um, my wife, Beth's mum, actually, um, her cancer came back really aggressively. And so the two months before uh, lockdown, we were just traveling around and uh, trying to support her and encourage her. And we were convinced we could fix it. Like, we're smart enough. Surely we found a solution. No. Well, can, can we use some money to try and help? No, everything we tried didn't help. And actually, um, two years ago today, um, Beth's mum, Sarah, died. And it kind of shook us to our core. And then the kind of pandemic hit, and you're trying to grieve and kind of work out all these things about, you know, the lockdowns and everything else. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. And what I found as I was going through that trial and to still, to some extent, going through it now, is I needed new blocks. I needed to put new things in place. The other things, you know, your status or your money or the other things, they're fine. There's nothing wrong with them. But they're not going to cut it to see me through to eternity. I need to put some new blocks in place. I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you what I've been doing. This might be helpful for you. First thing is, I committed to praying my tears. You know, it, there's a whole book in the Bible, the Psalms, which is all about pouring out your honest, heartfelt unfiltered emotion to God. God's not surprised by how you feel. He's not going to say, what? You feel what? He knows. He just wants you to bring it to him. 
no holds barred, no shine, just you. If you're happy, bring him your tears of joy. If you're sad, bring him your tears of grief and regret and confusion. Pray your tears. And then the second thing I realized I had to do was I needed to feed my soul. It was like in, in all the crazy, disrupted season we've had, all my rhythms have been knocked out of place. I, I found it really hard to read the Bible every day. And without that, it's like going out in the cold without a coat. It's no good. So I was like, right, set my alarm a little bit earlier. I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible a day. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to feed my soul. Can't do it without that. I'm going to feed my soul. That made a massive difference as well. And then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, going to sing to my heart because I realized things were starting to affect me in a different way and the grief meant that you know I'm normally kind of a relentless optimist the grief had started to kind of temper that optimism a bit like what is going on I just feel different so I realized every day I had to get out somewhere go for a walk and just put on some worship music and remind my heart of who God is and what he's done wasn't enough for me just to listen to my heart it's great to listen to your heart listen to your heart you know, tell God how you feel. But some, if you're just listening to your heart, you're like, you're up, you're down. You know, this is a good day, this is a bad day. This is going well, it's going really bad. You're like a roller coaster. Sometimes you don't just listen to your heart, you need to speak to your heart, you need to sing to your heart. And that's what I need to do. I need to find a new way of worshiping. I had to pray my tears, I had to feed my soul, I had to sing to my heart, and then I had to lean on my friends. And you might find this easier than me. I, I, I find it hard to rely on other people. I'm wired to be a little bit independent. But that wasn't going to cut it anymore. So I had to lean on my friends. I had to reach out to them and say, oh, I'm finding this a bit tough. Would you, would you pray for me? Would you, could we go for a walk? Could we chat about this? There's times when you need to lean on your friends. And what I found is, as I put those blocks back in place, even though the pressure came, even though the kind of, it was a bit difficult, even though I didn't think I could sustain the trials that we were facing as a family, we were able to stand firm. But I needed new things in place. And what I found is as I put those things in place, in the midst of the trial, God grew a new perseverance in me, a new strength in me. You see, suffering stings, but God can use it strategically in your life. The trials made me kinder, more compassionate. They increased my faith. And it's a little bit like when gold is refined. You'll know that goldsmiths, they heat up the gold and it becomes molten gold. And then they're kind of skimming the top layer off the whole time, skimming off the imperfections which are revealed by the heat that is placed on the gold. Until it reaches a point where the goldsmith can look into the gold and see his own reflection coming back or her own reflection coming back at them. That is what God uses trials for our life, if we'll let him. Kind of heats up, the pressure comes. But there comes a point where Jesus is growing his likeness within you, growing holiness within you. And I saw that in Beth's mum, Sarah. You know, when I went, we spent some time with her just before she died. And you know, her body was kind of wasting away. It was brutal to see. Whereas four months earlier, she'd looked the picture of health. 65 years old. And then in her face, to see her glowing with holiness, her love for Jesus, her compassion, her kindness. So as she faced the greatest trial in her life, the goodness in her was shining 
through. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, they will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. Your passion is what you're prepared to suffer for. That's what the word passion means, to suffer. And I wonder what you're prepared to suffer for. What trials are you prepared to go through because of what you love? And it might be you're struggling to stand firm today, to face your trial today. It might be you feel like the nights have just been too dark, the confusion has just gone on too long. It's difficult, but there is a promise here, a really important promise. Your trials come, you will face opposition, you will face grief, you will face sadness, you will face loss. But you can keep going because of the promise here that there is a blessing for you, a blessing prepared for you, a crown waiting for you. A crown of life. If you could see it just for a second, that glimpse would be enough. Like as certain as concrete in your soul to see you through every trial you face. That one day even the shadows will fade away like at dawn. And on that day few things will remain. Few things will be eternal. Few things will really matter. And some of those things will be what God does in you when you face the deep, deepest challenges of your life. In one sense, your trial that you face is closely connected to that crown that is promised. The cross you bear is the crown you will wear. Look at Jesus. At the hour of his greatest trial, they pushed a crown of thorns onto his head. As an insult, before they crucified him, Cursed is the one who's nailed to a tree. They didn't know, they couldn't see that for all eternity, Jesus is worshipped as the lamb who was slain. That the marks of his cross are the jewels in his crown. That the resurrected Jesus wears on his hands the wounds of his cross because they're not scars of shame, they're wounds of glory. And Jesus is worshipped by billions, not because he avoided trial and trouble, not because he tried to escape it, but because he endured it, he embraced it, he persevered through it because of his great love for you. Because you were his passion. You were what he was prepared to suffer for. True love suffers. True love stands firm in the trial. And when you see that, when you see how Jesus was willing to endure the greatest trial that anyone has ever faced for you, it stirs in your spirit a realization that with God's help, even the trial you face today can work something beautiful and glorious and eternal in your life that might be the making of you, that might shift things in your workplace, in your college, in your family, in your friendships, that God might use in ways you can't even conceive yet to bring blessing and to bring his kingdom.